Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, quarantined in D.C., and today I'm going to be interviewing actor Diedrich Bader. You've been entertained by him for decades. Some of his credits include uh, the television series American Housewife, Veep, The Exes. He's been on the Drew Carey show. He's also been in the films Napoleon Dynamite, Office Space, the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and Miss Congeniality 2. He has an endless resume in all entertainment genres. He's been in voiceover. He's done plays. He does independent movies. He's just, he's just works and works and works. He's upbeat and he's hysterically funny. So today's show is going to be a break from the ominous hellscape that we're living in. Although we do touch on it at the very end. Um, interviewing him was fantastic. He is a thoughtful man and just a lovely guest. I, I you know, I mean, I know him, um, from a variety of roles. And, and as I tell him, one of my favorite, if you've ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite, he plays Rex, the, re- the, the Taekwondo teacher, and he's so freaking hilarious. And so I'm aware of him in the, you know, like a, a more broad sense of it. He's, a, he's an actor with broad comedy. He, you know, he works in broad comedy. But um, in this particular interview, he's just him you know he's just himself and it's lovely to just have a conversation with uh, an intelligent man who's very successful and is able to communicate in a way that you know sometimes men don't always feel comfortable because he was just open and honest and I really appreciate that I I really love to talk to actors because creative people um, oftentimes are more in tuned with their emotions because that's what you learn when you're studying acting. So I'm excited about this interview. I was so happy that he said yes. But before we get started, Start Me Up is an independent podcast and it's woman run. And, you know, most of the time I'm talking about politics, but every once in a while, like I did on Monday and today, I focused on actors. And it's, it's fun because especially right now we're going through this quarantine. It's kind of nice to take a break because yesterday Stephanie and I were like, just kind of down, you know, I mean, it's obvious as you'll, as you'll hear later on in the interview with Diedrich, like I said, we do kind of touch on what's happening right now in the serious of the moment, seriousness of the moment. But, um, that was saved for the very end. (laughs) And then, oh, also I want to tell you, um, this today's show outro where it's just me finishing up the show is extra long. So I don't know. Sometimes people might just say, oh, okay, the interview's over. But I always have a little outro thing, and today it's a little bit longer than it usually is. But I wanted just to ask everybody, if you like the show today, please become, or please consider becoming a monthly subscriber. You can sign up for any dollar amount when you go to patreon.com slash startmeup. You see all the available tiers. If you want to start up at $2 a month, that gets you every show delivered to your email box. And then you can decide later if you want to upgrade. I do have the $5 tier where I do shows where it's like a guest and me. Like yesterday, I was talking with Steph, but a lot of them are just going to be solo shows with me talking about whatever the fuck I want. I'll be talking about like Dear Diary. And so I can tell you about dating experiences and I can tell you about experiences I had in the workforce and all that. But I like to kind of tie those things into some kind of social relevance. You know, it's like I told the story of Antonio who had a very large you-know-what. And so when I told that story and my experience with him, I kind of, it wasn't all about patriarchy. It was a kind of funny story, but I did like as a, as a old, like a woman who's going to be 52, looking back at my 34 year old self, I could see how I gave into some of the patriarchal, um, 
messages that we get. So anyway, I always kind of kind of try, kind of try and tie it to some kind of social relevance, and it's also just an opportunity to get to know me. And um, while you're listening to me interview or talk with other people, you just have a better understanding of who I am. And then let's see what else. Um, Also, if you like to make a one-time donation. You can read the Patreon description of the show. I include my email address that you can use with uh, PayPal. And sometimes people like to do that. Thank you. But, you know, if you become a patron, that's that's awesome. Every way that you can support me is awesome. Also, I wanted to say this because I got a new review. Woohoo! And a new five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. I love that. Thank you. So, of course, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever uh, uh, podcasts are found. And... I will beg you every week for this. Please go to Apple Podcasts and just subscribe to the show. Start me up. It's free. And then hit the rating button if you like the show. Five-star ratings are, of course, my preferred rating. (laughs) Um, And then leave a review. Because it does help me in the ranking of the podcasts, which I know is important. And um, I'm just, I I noticed that Bob likes to tell me, my boyfriend Bob, likes to show me uh, the rankings on Apple Podcasts. And much to my surprise, I had a pretty decent ranking considering um, I'm not a big famous person. So I was really grateful for that. And I appreciate it. And it's because of you guys and going over there and and doing all that stuff on Apple. I don't know how it works with the algorithms, but it works. So thank you. And that's going to be it. I'm going to shut up now. Please enjoy my interview with Diedrich Bader. Welcome, Diedrich. Hey. <laughs> it's good to Hi. have you on. It's good to have you on the show. I'm really glad to be here. Oh, you don't even know how glad I am <laughs> that you're here. It's so funny because um, I started this podcast in 2016, and I really just figured I was just maybe going to interview uh, people I knew, and we would just have discussions on politics, and it's it's grown into something that I never expected, and now I'm interview- interviewing like big, huge celebrities like you. And uh, okay, so I want to basically focus on your craft and your career and your journey as an actor because a long time ago I used to be an actor and I just I think creative people are so interesting and fun and I love to know their backstory. So let's just jump in. And I read on IMDb that you were born in Virginia. Did you grow up in Virginia? Uh, largely. I mean, uh, I was born in, uh, like, um, Washington, D.C., then we moved to Virginia, then we moved to Princeton, and then we moved to Paris for, like, three and a half, four years, and then we moved back to Virginia. Uh, so, yeah, with just a little gap of, like, four years or so, uh, I've, I've been a Virginian, yeah. And so, what, how old were you when you lived in Paris? Uh, I was three when I moved there, okay. and uh, maybe a little younger, two and a half, somewhere around there, and, and about six when I came back. Oh. Um, that's actually the time that uh, made me an actor. Really? Well, oh, I want to know why. <laughs> um, well, I was, I basically just learned how to speak English, and then we moved to another country, and, and uh, <laughs> I was not born a linguistic genius, so I did not pick up French very fast, and uh, uh, I was really kind of alienated by the whole thing, and huh. um, I started getting obsessed with silent actors, like Harpo Marx, Buster Keaton, but especially uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin, yeah. um, and he really started me, because I worked up a little Charlie Cha- Chaplin act in my room, and then um, I used to go see the Charlie Chaplin movies, uh, and uh, the uh, film burned at one screening where there was an organ player. Hmm. And uh, 
So I jumped in between the audience and the screen, and I did my own Charlie Chaplin act, and the organ player played, and that was kind of it. That is so cool. And so, of course, you do this, and the audience reacts to you, and so that was like the moment, like you, you got that audience reaction, and you're like, yes, this is what I want. Yeah, it was that immediate reaction. I mean, you know, what's ironic is that I end up working for camera where you don't get that uh, feel from the actor immediately. I mean, so, sorry, the audience immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, except for the Drew Carey show and the other sitcoms that I've done where, you know, it's like an under-rehearsed play. You get in front yeah. of the audience and they, they give you that, that uh, approval and, and you know you know how they're feeling and, and that uh, kind of intimacy, that... Um, um, relationship that you get with an audience is, is really a lovely thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you were a t- like a, a kid, a teenager, were you um, scholastic? Were you a drama student? Were you always, I obviously were creative. So, I mean, were you like into school or were you more of that like creative person? I, who was... I can't say that I was the best student. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I had decided that I wanted to be an actor pretty early on, but I, I, I really only did one play a year so that I could row crew in the spring, mm-hmm. um, and I trained all winter, so I did the fall play every year. But other than that, uh, uh, yeah, I wasn't really the most dedicated student, but uh, <laughs> uh, for some reason I was in all these AP classes, but I did just mm. modestly well, I would say, not moderately well, not not, not an incredible student. Yeah. Uh, my my uh, older siblings were all kind of exceptional students, so I think there was a part of me that wanted to diminish their achievements or at least <laughs> maybe not that maybe just to like uh in my own eyes kind of reduce that the you know, their importance um <laughs> the importance of their exceptionalism yeah uh so so that i didn't have to compete with them in some way Interesting. um that's possible Interesting. Wow. You know, I mean, I uh, used to be an actor and I think I've heard a lot of actors say the same thing. It's like they're usually these actors are intelligent people, but they're they weren't always so scholastic. And um, I certainly wasn't. But you did have the benefit of going to, for the most part, East Coast schools, which I did go to because I was born in Maryland and then I moved to um, Southern California when I was nine in 1977. Okay. And I've said this on my podcast like a million times, so I'm sorry for repeating to my listeners, but California school education, public education leaves a lot to be desired. And I had the opportunity to spend um, part of my sixth grade back in Maryland, in Maryland schools. And then in seventh grade, I went to Anglo-American school in Moscow. And so I got to see the difference of, you know, what a better public education is. Well, Anglo-American school, I don't even really know if they had to pay to to put me in there. But either way, I do know that the the East Coast schools were superior to the West Coast Coast schools. Yeah, I mean, I didn't go to school out here, so I don't strictly know that. I just know that it was gutted. Um, yes. you know, they, they have terrible funding and, and, uh, um, you know, my kids went to a charter school out here, um, and now go to private school because yeah. our middle school in our neighborhood, which is literally right down the block, um, is a failing school. So hmm. it, it is a little frustrating. My parents, you know, paid taxes in the Virginia area and yeah. I went to uh, T.C. Williams, uh, high school, which is, was a fantastic experience. We, hmm. we just, you know, was supported by a really strong tax base. And uh, we had no want for great teachers. And, yeah. um, it, the sports programs were all fully funded. And, uh, of course, we had fundraisers and things like that. But we never had a want of really anything. And yeah. I, I went to an exceptional school. And what's fascinating about it is that, you know, out here in Los Angeles, you pay for basically what my parents got for free. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's 
pretty sad. And I mean, I think I, I experienced that, like I said, firsthand, because literally in sixth grade, I was in, I was going to school. Um, oh, what was it? It was the school in Laurel Canyon, and I can't remember that. Wonderland Elementary. And, oh, yeah, that's one of the best, too. That's, well, that's okay. ironic about it. Yeah, and, and in sixth grade, I was learning basic addition. And so, yeah, you know, right. like 45 plus 39. And then I, w- I came back to Maryland for a little while, and I was, you know, I went to a different school, which at the, now the school that I was in, we just had like the one teacher and sat in the one class all day in sixth grade. When I went to Maryland school, it was a middle school. So we did, you know, go to different classes. And I mean, I, yeah. I remember my math class, they were doing reciprocals, and it was just yeah. like Japanese. You know, I, I you know I was doing really well in um, in my sixth grade class in California, and I was so proud of myself. But I mean, we were basically just doing addition, and so I really did yeah. see that there was a difference. So it's pretty sad uh, that that's going on. That you have to actually have to pay for an education that you got for free from taxpayer. And my boyfriend yeah. Bob Seska also grew up in um, Virginia and went to Virginia schools. So I think he went to. Um, there was public school, and then he also went to like a Catholic school for a while. But, but okay, anyway, that's yeah. neither here nor there. But um, okay, so I'm curious about now. You're funny. You're a funny guy. And yeah. did you know that right away? And then, like, I want to know h- how you studied. Like, did you study improv? What kind of acting did you study? Uh, well, I went to North Carolina School of the Arts to study acting. Okay. Um, and uh, before that, you know, I just did plays and and uh, high school drama. I took a drama class. I wouldn't say that I was like a drama rama you know that wasn't really my crowd <laughs> yeah. but uh, uh but I did enjoy doing it and I I preferred to do comedies yeah uh comedy was really as I said my origin story was comedy um I I always worshiped those that uh, were funny I just enjoyed it to bring joy uh to people is is a is a high calling and yeah. and uh uh I always respected people that could make other people laugh yeah. um and I um I study it uh, to this day, you know, I mean, I just huh. see what what works, yeah. and I store it in a Rolodex, and I, mm-hmm. I also, uh, you know, I, I try to rely on my instincts as much as possible, but I also I also have paid attention to comedy for a very long time and, and, uh, and try to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, every new script that I get is, is problem-solving and uh, yeah. uh, trying to figure out the best way, the funniest way to do it without diminishing the story at all. In other words, when I first started working on camera, uh, I tried to be funny in every single scene, and um, I think I was imposing a lot of comedy onto stuff that um, was distracting. I remember watching my second pilot and realizing that I had become an undisciplined actor in Hmm. that I constantly was throwing in jokes, physical comedy, that had nothing to do with the scene itself. Hmm. Um, And then when... Uh, when I watched it all together, the cumulative effect was I was stealing focus hmm. and making it about something that it really wasn't. Hmm. You always have to be in service to the script. It's not about yeah. you being funny. It's it's about you being funny in the context of the larger story. Um, and uh, that was an important lesson and one that I... Because what's difficult about working on camera, as opposed to being in a play, is that... Um, you know, you shoot out a sequence, um, you don't know generally the overall tone mm-hmm. um, unless the director is really um, specific, and sometimes he is and sometimes he isn't, or mm-hmm. she. Um, and so you really have to pay attention to the tone of the overall show. And 
constantly read the entire script over and over and over again just to make sure that you get hmm. where they're going with it and watch rehearsal and you know try to be part of a larger whole yeah. um it uh, that so yeah that's it's so know where you were and and know where you're going and and know that you're building to you know um, a funnier but try to be funny in every scene but mm-hmm. know that you're building to something that is going somewhere in the larger whole yeah. uh, and that's something that i would recommend to to younger actors that are coming up and and trying to figure out how to work on camera yeah um yeah is is to not focus on every scene like try to find something within every scene but to try to figure out where you're going that whole larger whole i think just encapsulates the reason I was drawn to acting in the first place. I mean, I'm a creative person and I like being creative, but I've yeah. I found joy in writing and I absolutely I have to say that of all the things that I've done, I've been in sales and I've been an actor and all this. This what I'm doing right now is my favorite thing to do and I think it's because I get I get to control it and the funny thing is there is no hole. It's just me. Yeah. But um yeah. being an actor, I remember being a kid and watching plays and having such like envy for all the actors who shared this like there, there was this secret that they had this like I don't know this the secret language the secret experience it wasn't a secret but it was like you all when you're when you're in a play when you're in an ensemble and you're all kind of counting yeah. on each other there's this magic that happens and you know the, after the play is over and everybody's hugging each other I could see that and I desperately wanted to be a part of that and you know I mean I, I did get to experience it and I'm grateful for it but um, when you said that, it's like, yes, that's exactly what it's about. It's about it's about the bigger pictures, about the entire story and everybody's effort to tell that story. And that's right. um, yeah, you're you're at the you're at the service of the the writer. And yeah, the, you're you're the idea is that you execute the story as uh, as the larger story as best you can. Not yeah. focus on little moments for yourself. It's not about you. It's about the story. Yes, exactly. So were you like a, a funny kid? I mean, I, I guess I was funny, funny looking. <laughs> Hello. Um, no, I mean, you know, I, uh, I, I, I think I was, I think I was probably pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. And, and I just enjoyed making people laugh a lot. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I think I was pretty funny. Yeah. So you were like, I can't remember that. I know my boyfriend knows this, but in the movie um, Waiting for Guffman, Eugene Levy said something like, I wasn't the class clown, but I studied him. (laughs) 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 Whatever else he said, but that's anyway. Anyway. Um, Okay. So back to you. Now, when you started to pursue a career, like, okay, so how did it go for you? You studied in, where did you say one of the Carolinas? North Carolina School of the Arts in okay. Winston-Salem, North Carolina, beautiful town. And uh, I wanted to be a stage actor. I wanted to be a Shakespearean actor, actually. Huh. Wow. Um, and uh, working at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival was my long-term goal. That's what I really wanted. Like That would be the peak. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, in between my sophomore and junior year, I went on vacation to Santa Fe, uh, New Mexico, with my parents. And my parents knew some local artists, and um, my mom was an artist, and, and so she knew people pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, uh, I went to a dinner party. I met a casting director at the dinner party who asked me to read for this pilot. She was wow. casting a Western. And I wasn't interested, and my mom talked me into going. And uh, uh, I went into the audition, and uh, you know, I read for the local gunslinger part, like a small daytime part. Mm-hmm. 
uh, day player part, and uh, uh, she said, "Okay, that was uh, that was funny." And I said, yeah. "Well, thanks." And she goes, "Well, the problem is, it's not a comedic role, <laughs> so uh, we would love we'd love to read you for this uh, larger part. It's kind of like the goofy deputy of the sheriff, um, but it's a regular, so it's not cast as a local." Mm-hmm. But I'm going to make a tape if you want to read for it and send it into the producers and we'll see what happens. Wow. Um, so they ended up sending it to Los Angeles and on that tape they gave it to the network and ABC uh, was the network, which I'm on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and they said yes and um, and that was it. I was in a Western and um, I still thought like I'm going to be the stage actor. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I did have a really good time shooting. I dressed as a cowboy. I rode a horse. I had guns. Uh, you know, we played poker all day on a set that was like a saloon. Yeah. Um, the other actors were really fun. I loved like the. Uh, I just loved the actors, and I loved the process of shooting and and kind of come up with different things to do in scenes. And um, uh, I just enjoyed the whole process. But I think the thing that really got me was I was working with this actor named Lee DeBro who'd been around a long time, and I think he was playing the bad guy. Pretty sure he was playing the bad guy. Anyway, I haven't seen it since it came out. Hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, I he asked me what I was up to that night, and I said, I'm going into town, uh, Santa Fe, to see um, uh, Chinatown. Hmm. And he goes, oh, really? Have you ever seen it? And I said, no. And he gave me a little, like, this little tip on his nose. He uh, touched his index finger, finger to his nose and then, like, uh, uh, and would like give me like the high sign or something, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that was weird. <laughs> anyway, um, I see the movie, and about three quarters of the way through, there's Lee DeBro uh, as a oh, wow. like a cop, and he does this that same symbol that he did to Jack Nicholson. Oh wow! And uh, right, and I thought, wow, now that was cool. Yeah, that was actually super cool. Um, he's got this performance that will go throughout time. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really get it before exactly what it was, which is that, you know, we do these things, but they're never really captured. When you're on stage, it's like, you know, the curling of smoke. It's beautiful, but it's it's ephemeral and it's gone. Yeah. And uh, stays in people's memories, but it doesn't really exist after that. But yeah. if you're on film, it uh, it's forever. And there's something really beautiful about that. Um, and I didn't really get it. Um, although I admired on-camera actors so much, I, I never really got what the appeal of it was mm-hmm. uh, until that moment. And, uh, um, and, and, and yeah, it kind of changed my life. So I, uh, then I uh, went back to North Carolina School of the Arts, and uh, uh, the deans had changed, and uh, we had some difficulties and our relationship, uh, my, the dean and myself, and I dropped out. It was my dad's idea. Hmm. And then, uh, and then I moved to Los Angeles, and uh, I was here for about a month. And I was uh, cast in another pilot by um, the same producers that did the western that I was cast in. So, uh, um, so you know, paid my dues. Had a tough month. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just going to uh, say, what a struggle. <laughs> Yeah, real struggle. <laughs> Worked as a security guard for two weeks, quit, and then I got a job. Wow! Um, but then, uh, but then, uh, then I actually did blow it. I uh, um, I uh, came back to town and I had you know and some cash in my uh, pocket. Mm-hmm. I blew through it and uh, uh, I really, I really made mistakes. 
and I didn't save any money at all. I just thought, uh, you know, I was 21 and I just went crazy. And uh, I just started starving. Like I just couldn't feed myself. I I basically lived off cigarettes. Um, (laughs) Because as people know that I actually smoked, it's like you you don't actually have to eat. Um, (laughs) Yes, I was a smoker before, but I always had to eat. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I didn't. Uh, Yeah, I didn't. And I, I went to friends' houses and made sandwiches. And that's basically how I got by. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and then I started working and then I realized that I had, I'd blown my money in a very stupid way and, and, yeah. uh, and was from then on much more cautious. I'm glad I fell on my face when I was young. Yes. Um, because, uh, once I started making a living, I, I really didn't, uh, I didn't blow it in the same way. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like you said, it's good that you're young because you get it out of the way and then you learn that lesson. So, um, I mean, I, I was I inherited some money when I was young and I didn't completely blow it. I mean, I wasn't like uber wealthy or anything, but you know, it was a nice little thing. I got it when I was about 26 years old, but I had it for about six years and then it was gone. So I can't say that I completely blew it. And you know, the funny thing was, is that's when I was pursuing an acting career. And in my mind, I was just like, well, I will just use this money to pursue my acting career and then I will be successful and I will not, you know, the money will have been spent on me and my huge success, (laughs) which just never happened. It's actually not a terrible plan. (laughs) But that never happened. But that's fine. It's funny because right now in my life, I'm, I'm, you know, focusing, I'm trying to be like focusing on the positives and, um, and manifesting good things. And I, you know, I can look back in my youth and, and I, I kind of get where I screwed it up. And you know what the sad part is? I honestly, I was telling my boyfriend this last night. Um, I think part of the reason I didn't have more success because I, I know that I was a good actor. I know that I was a funny actor. I mean, I wasn't like comedic per se, but I, I had comedic ability. Um, I think the thing that stopped me completely was my own, my, my own thoughts because I'm tall and I'm, I have big bones literally, and I'm not like the, the tiny little Hollywood actress. And because I look like a leading lady, but I didn't have, I mean, for instance, and I know I want to talk about, you worked with Kristen Johnston and Kristen's been on this show and we were, we were talking about it and it's like. She, you know, she's got, she's very tall, but she's got very small bones and a slim, she's, uh, what's the term? Like I'm broad and uh-huh. whatever the opposite of, I, I can't remember the word, <laughs> but it's just, she's got, you know, smaller shoulders, smaller frame. And, yeah. um, I don't, you know, I mean, I, ha- I'm, I'm bigger everywhere. And it's like, I was slender when I was younger, but because of my physical appearance, plus I went through, um, and I still deal with it to a small degree, but um, I had like mild to moderate acne. So I had all these ideas in my head that if I were to ever be cast in something that I would not be able to, especially like a film where um, I was under the impression that you're just like working all the time and you get no sleep. And I just thought, oh my God, I'm going to gain weight and I'm going to, I'm not, you know, and, and, and I had all these like negative thoughts about my body. And I, and I honestly just think that I got in my own way and I probably could have booked more gigs. I mean, I don't know that I would have ever become famous or anything, but I could have booked more gigs if I would have just left myself alone, but I didn't. And so, you know, now I'm, now I'm kind of looking at it in a, in a, in a different way, but that brings me to the question of like, when you were pursuing, I mean, obviously you thought you were going to be on stage, but did you always have like a sense of confidence that it was just going to happen for you? Um, that you could make a living and do this for a living? You know, what's weird is that I never gave it much thought. Hmm. Um, if I'm totally honest, 
I was almost delusional. Like I just thought, <laughs> that's probably oh, good. I'm going to do, do this now. Yeah. Um, and then things kind of worked out. I mean, I, I, I just went forward. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting. Uh, I was on a hike with my son and, uh, we were in Austria and we were in the Austrian Alps and, uh, um, we were hiking with this other guy that was staying at the hotel. Um, and uh, anyway, we were we were really hiking up, and he was an Austrian guy, a local guy. And I overheard a conversation with my son. We were almost at the top, and they didn't know that they were, but I could hear him. And uh, the guy said to my son, "You know, uh, your father is a good hiker. I didn't know he was in such good shape." <laughs> and my son said, you know, "He's not really. He's just bonkers." And, uh, <laughs> And, uh, and the guy goes, what do you mean? And he goes, well, that's the one thing about my dad is he doesn't know what he can't do. Wow. That's um, awesome. <laughs> so he just does it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, and he's entirely right. That's, and, uh, I mean, I guess people told me it's unrealistic. Like, I, and I was just like, I don't know, I was just going to do it. Yeah. So, um, I do the same thing in auditions and when I'm in rooms and, um, I just, um, I just go ahead and do it like I I can't say that I, I think I'm the best or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to do what I do. And, yeah. and if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, um, that's honestly fine. I'm going to move on to the next one. Right. I, I never really any let anything impact me too deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just moved forward. Um, as my son said, it just, yeah. I don't know what I can't do. So I just keep doing whatever comes in front of me. And yeah. For some reason, it's worked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and that that's absolutely fantastic. And that's, I mean, I applaud that. I, I wish that I had that uh, ability to just, I mean, I, I guess, you know, being a woman in um, Los Angeles, and especially if you have, if you're not fitting in, um, yeah, sure. it, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I remember being six years old. I've always been tall. And I was in yeah. the bathroom with two of my girlfriends. And we started, you know, it was like in first grade and I don't know, we're talking about how much we weighed and my girlfriends weighed 50 pounds and I weighed 60 pounds, but I was taller than them. But I remember feeling shame about that. And so, you know, I mean, I think like it's just carried over and and it's it's just been a lifelong thing. I mean, I I guess it's it's easier for me now because I'm I'm going to be 52 years, 52 years old this year. And uh, my my career right now is like, I don't have to get in front of the camera. If I gain a little bit of weight, I'm, you know, I I may not like it, but I don't feel like my world is going to come crashing down, which is what like, I definitely, you know, I mean, I wanted very much to entertain. Um, so at least I have found, well, you know, what's tough is, I think if I may interject, mm-hmm. sure. uh, a lot of people, not just women, but a lot of people judge themselves very harshly. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, when an actor or actress puts themselves in a place where they are judged, uh, constantly, yeah. you know, you, people get the sense that they're, you know, maybe they're judging themselves. Uh, but in show business, people are judging you. They yeah. judge you all the time. Yeah. If you were to think people are not judging you, you're you're completely delusional. <laughs> right. That's what they do. Yeah. Um, it, and it's not like you have said at any point like you are better than anyone else. Right. It's just that you have put yourself on camera, and people just naturally judge. Yeah. Um, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> people that 
are insecure often get into this profession. Um, <laughs> yes. And then, <laughs> and then, and they then they're out. rejected constantly <laughs> yeah. and judged constantly, put themselves in exactly the situation that they should not be in. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's very difficult, particularly for actresses, to survive that, to mm-hmm. survive being judged a lot. It is a very difficult profession in that way. Yeah. Um, because uh, a- any of your insecurities about your physicality are going to be exploited. Yeah. And not just by you, by other people. And they're going to say it. I mean, you know, I, uh, I when I was in Alexandria, Virginia, I thought I was a, a fairly good-looking guy. But Los Angeles, and there are literal gods walking down the street. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and these are the people that I would be competing against. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, casting directors would say to me, um, well, you know, you're the funniest person we saw, but we're having a looks problem. Oh, my God. And I heard that for years. I, I've never stopped hearing it. Um, I've never been wow. considered a good-looking person in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which is totally fine. Um, but because their palate, if you will, is is kind of genetic freaks. Yeah. Um, they come here because they, they look like they do. And a lot of times, it's not that they have so much talent. It is mm-hmm. that they have talent and they look like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about a rare breed of a rare yeah. breed. Exactly. Well, and I thought, I mean, you know, being in any kind of, um, you know, doing any kind of work, entertaining anybody, doing a good job, there is nothing... There's, in my opinion, like no better feeling than being in that zone and, and you can hear people laugh and you oh, know great. you're doing, I mean, it's just, it's almost, it's its own high. It's like a drug. Oh, yeah. But I oh, al- totally, that's why they call it, you know, get, uh, getting bit by the bug. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it literally is that. Once you've felt that, it's, it's difficult to come down from it and oh, you yeah. want it over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I remember I saw in Searching for Deborah Winger, which was a Rosanna Arquette. I don't know if you saw a documentary by her. Uh, it was fantastic. She's interviewing a whole bunch of women, basically what it's like to be a woman in Hollywood, to have a career, to age and all of this. And I remember Jane Fonda did this absolutely fantastic monologue about um, and it was like, you know, it was her speaking. It wasn't a memorized monologue, yeah, but no, she was just it. talking about how just we were like hitting that point and there's just no greater feeling because you are just soaring and that you know, when you're working with other actors and you're all ch- just like meeting it and hitting it it's god it's like the best thing but you know i want to ask you this because I, i've always had this opinion and i'm i'm curious to know what you think because i you know i'm sure you've heard a million times um actors are always in competition there's so much competition there's so much competition and it's almost like you're told that so that you'll just say, fuck it, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it anymore because there's so much competition. But I always felt like, in a way, of course there's other people who are vying for the same part, but, it, but nobody else can bring to a part what you can bring. And so therefore yeah. there is no competition. I mean, sure, you're going to have to deal with like producers um, hiring their friends or you know, whatever. Yeah, but, but there's I, nothing you could do about that. Yeah, exactly. I but mean, I like, did say just earlier that it, 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 who you're competing against, but you aren't competing literally against anybody because yeah, uh, um, I, it's just they're trying to cast apart. And mm-hmm. a lot of what casting apart is, is you looking like you should be that part. Yes. Um, and it has so little to do with you, really, <laughs> than anything you can control anyway. That, yeah. Um, um, I mean, one thing I always say to young actors is when they 
try not to anticipate what they want. Do it the way that you want to do yeah. it. And then, um, and because th- that's what they're looking for, how you would do it, mm-hmm. not what they, what you think they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, I made that mistake a lot of just like trying to uh, anticipate which way they would go with it. Um, and then I really started booking when I came in and I was like, I'm just going to do it the way I do it. Yeah. And then, uh, and then ask if they want it any other way right. and then move forward. But you don't know exactly what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. You don't. And uh, there's no way that you can anticipate it. So you just need to do your thing. Yeah, I remember I, I, I auditioned for an independent role one time and um, it was, a, I don't know, some woman breaking up with a guy and I chose to play it angry. And it was funny because the director said to me, he's like, wow, every other actress that came in has like chosen to cry. And right. you went for the anger. I didn't book it, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, still, it was you're just not like book everything. It's, well, I mean, yeah. it's fine. Ultimately, what you need to do is do it the way you want to do it, maintain right. your own integrity, and then you don't feel dirty afterwards. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, did, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, just you, to thy own self be true. You know, you just you you maintain your own integrity, and uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, I've had disagreements in rooms yeah. uh, where I clearly was not going to get the job. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I remember auditioning for an independent, and it was this guy's first directorial job. And he wrote the script as well. And it was an interesting script. Uh, but anyway, uh, I did the audition, and I did the scene, and he goes, uh, I'm not getting something. And I go, okay. And he goes, you are acting like... Uh, you're going to, like, win in this situation. And I said, yeah, that's right. And he goes, BC, but he doesn't feel that way. He feels like he's going to lose. When he walks in, he knows he's going to lose. And I said, no. And he goes, what are you saying? And I said, no, I can't, I can't ever think that I'm going to lose. Why yeah. would I start talking? And he goes, no, he, he's defeated. And I said, well, he's not defeated at the beginning of the scene. And he goes, yeah, no, he's defeated at the beginning of the scene. And I said, no, you can't think that way. You can't, no one thinks that way. Yeah. And he goes, people think that way all the time. And I go, no, they don't. They don't. <laughs> Anytime anyone says anything, yeah. they think there's some reason for right. me saying this. If I feel like it's useless, I'm not going to say anything. In fact, yeah. why would I even come to the room? Right. And he goes, no, no, <sighs> you, you feel defeated. And I go, and he goes, let me see it one more time like that. And I go, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> And he goes, I don't understand. And I go, well, I don't know what you don't understand about it. Uh, an actor can't come in and, and portray something where the guy is going to lose. Yeah. No one does that, ever. And uh, he goes, okay. And I was like, all right, and got up and left. And um, <laughs> I mean, I guess they shot it, uh, but it never came out. And Interesting. It just, it's like life. You can't think you're going to lose it. Exactly. You, you have to do the best with what you got. Yeah, I mean, you may you may know there's a, a chance that you could lose it, but the whole point is like, well, I want to overcome those odds. So exactly, yeah, you can't ever think you're going to lose. You have to accept that there may be loss, right? But uh, but you can't. I mean, why 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 run in the race? Exactly, that's interesting. Yeah, it's funny. Casting directors sometimes think they have all the answers, and I mean, not to say that actors always do, but you know, I I was certainly involved in many conversations with casting directors who. I thought didn't know what they were talking about, but you know, <laughs> but that's casting directors. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about this cause this totally intrigued me. I saw you on a KTLA interview 
which yeah. must have been fun. Th- th- that must be so fun just going to that set and talking to them because they're all so crazy and fun. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. It's a great set. Actually. Yeah. I really liked uh, KTLA. Yeah. I, I just I loved watching them. They, they just seem like so they're just so fun and they're so L.A. Um, So you said how calm and even it is on sets that have women leads. So I want to hear more about that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's entirely true. I mean, you know, there's nobody tiptoeing around. Uh, I know I've heard some people say that there are some difficult uh, women. Of course. uh, Yeah, like maybe Roseanne. (laughs) Yeah, right. No, of course. Uh, But uh, for the most part, I mean, every time I've done a show where the lead is a woman, Mm -hmm. um, it's been incredibly well run, uh, peaceable, um, intelligent, thoughtful. And, uh, you know, it's about the work and getting it done. It's not about big personalities. Mm -hmm. Um, I have uh, so enjoyed working with the actresses that I've been working with, Julia, uh, Louise Dreyfus, yeah. and, uh, Pam Ugh. Adlon, and, and Katie Mixon. Um, you know, what's fascinating about it is that every day is a journey with these women. Like, you you are allowed to be emotional. You're allowed mm-hmm. to hmm. say how you're feeling. Um, you're allowed to go into your past. It's fascinating. Like, yeah. most actors, uh, lead actors, they don't want to hear it. They go back to their trailer and they... They, they just don't want to talk. There isn't an open dialogue. You never get to know them. Um, but, uh, but with actresses, they're, they're there. They're mm-hmm. totally present. They're, uh, you know, and, and they're completely in control. That's yeah. what's so great is that they know they're given this opportunity and they're completely in control. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's lovely. Uh, I, I love, I much prefer sets with where number one on the call sheet is a, is a, is a woman. Wow. That's good to know. We should have a woman president, damn it. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so now I have to ask you. I've never seen it, but when I was going through your um, your list of, of works, I saw you were in The X's, so you worked with Kristen Johnston. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, my God, I'm yeah. so jealous. <laughs> yeah, she's great. She's great, especially in front of a live audience, which The X's was. Yeah. Uh, she's, she, uh, she really comes alive, and she's a really great performer. She really knows the crowd really well, and it's fun to work with. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's, uh, she's truly great. Um, well, yeah, and it's funny because she, I remember I actually auditioned to be her stand-in. Uh, for oh. Third Rock, before it was even, it was called Life as We Know It. And it was just so funny because at the time, all I was trying to do was get my SAG card. So I joined one of these, um, I don't know what they were, but there was this thing where it says, okay, if you, you know, we will get you auditions um, for union projects. Because, of course, when you're not union, you can't get those auditions, like the Catch-22 yeah. thing. Yeah, catch so, yeah. um, so if you could get auditions for three union projects, you qualified for your SAG card. And um, I got an, you know, either jobs or even if you just went on audition. So you could book the job or you could you could just do the audition. So in this case, it was funny because I it was life as we know it. I didn't really know much about it. Obviously, Kristen at that time was not famous. I I guess she was there. I don't even remember seeing her, but I did not want the job. I just wanted the audition. And Uh, I I just thought, I don't want to be a stand in. I'm just going to be completely overlooked as a stand in. And, And then it was funny because. I loved that show. And then, and I didn't, you know, I didn't get, actually, um, I think they wanted me to be her stand-in because I'm, we're both six feet tall and we're so similar. And so, uh, but I played it down. I I think I told them that I didn't have 
um, like the scheduling, there was a pr problem with the scheduling or whatever it was. Like I said, I just wanted to get the SAG card. So um, then the show comes on and I'm like, oh, that's the show I did that audition for. And then I loved it. Uh, but I will say, though, that it's like, you know what? This goes to my thing about um, competition. I think I could have played the role that she played, but she played it superior. I don't think anybody could play that role as well as her. She brought something to it because to me, she reminds me of Lucia Bollock. She's a glamazon. Oh, yeah. She's beautiful, yeah. but she's, yeah. she can be zany and she can, yeah. you know, and I'm not she's zany. She's physically gifted too. Yeah. She, she can do physical comedy in, in a, a, a very precise yeah. uh, way. Yeah. And, uh, she's, uh, she's gifted. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like as, you know, I mean, I never was envious only in that, like, I felt like she, Nobody else could play that role better than she could. She's so yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's the wonderful thing about it. When an actor is perfectly cast, it is magical. It is. Yeah, it really, truly is. And then it was just so fun because years later, you know, I'm on Twitter, and I see her, and I was like, oh, my God, I, I auditioned to be your stand-in. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm going to follow you. <laughs> and so now we have, like, a friendship. I mean, we've never met, but, um, you know, I had... Kirsten Warren, who's Kirk Acevedo's wife on Monday, and she was saying how it's funny how like sometimes on Twitter you can meet these people and have these connections even though you've never met. I mean, you can certainly have, uh, you know, like a Twitter connection experience, but then sometimes they go deeper. And I've, I felt that. I felt that with uh, Kirsten and Kristen, which is funny. Um, yeah. Pretty cool. So I want to ask you too, like with, okay, so now you were on the Drew Carey show, and I remember that. Yeah. Um, you had worked before that, and you had worked in films, which I definitely want to talk about, um, Rex Quando, but, uh, who I love, but, <laughs> um, do you consider that show like your big breakout show? Or do you? Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. before that I had done the Beverly Hillbillies. Right. And um, I remember that. But it didn't do very well. It yeah. just didn't, it didn't really find an audience. I mean, I mean, there are people that really love the, uh, Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. And it was in, certainly an interesting shoot for me. I did the best I could. Uh, but ultimately, um, you know, if you're in a movie, it has to do well. If it yeah. doesn't do well, then it doesn't do anything for you. Um, uh, I mean, you know, Office Space, I guess you could argue that Office Space did well historically because right. it became this cult hit. But, you know, if nobody sees it, then it doesn't really make any difference. Yeah. Um, uh, so then, uh, and I had done a series before, uh, Danger Theater, but um, I didn't know there were 96 uh, series on television until I got the ratings and we were ranked. Um, <laughs> uh, so that was kind of that was kind of yeah, educational, anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, uh, yeah, Drew Carey show, I guess, was the was the breakout um, thing. Yeah. And I initially, the first year, anyway, I wasn't very grateful. Um, I had kind of backed into the show in a weird way. I um, I was testing for this pilot called Partners. Ended up being John Cryer played my role. Oh wow! Um, uh, I think it was NBC, but I can't really remember. Anyway, uh, I was testing for it, and it was Sony, and Sony was uh, the production company, and Sony was being really cheap and not meeting my quote. Mm -hmm. So I said to my agent. Uh, although this was the second pilot of the year, they weren't even matching my Disney quote. Uh, wow. Disney was really tough. Yeah. Um, so my agent said, well, you know, it would be great as if we could test for something else. Um, and, uh, and then we could like have a bidding competition between mm -hmm. the two. 
So I was like, okay, yeah. So uh, he goes, there's the show. I don't know if you know the stand-up Drew Carey. And I said, no, no, I don't. And he goes, well, why don't you go in and, uh, and you know, see how it goes. So anyway, I ended up testing for the Drew Carey show. Drew was really nice. Uh, I liked him the first time I met him. Mm-hmm. But I didn't finish reading the pilot because I just wanted to drive up the price for my other, you know, the other pilot. Yeah. Interesting. Then, so I tested for the Drew Carey show and uh, partners in the same day. And uh, I didn't get partners, and I did get the Drew Carey show. Wow. And um, I actually got really mad at my agent because I was like, now I'm going to have to do this show. <laughs> Thanks to you and your bright idea of, like, you know, doing this um, uh, uh, negotiation. And he was like, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know who Drew Carey show. I don't know who he is, but, you know, he'll pocket the money and it'll be fine. Right. So I did the pilot. I really liked Drew, as I said, and I got yeah. to work with Ryan Stiles, who I'd liked on Hula, whose line is it anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was a it was a fun pilot. Yeah. Um, and then we got picked up, and I I can't say that I was entirely grateful about it. You know, I was yeah. 27 or whatever. Yeah, I'd done seven pilots. Uh, I I wasn't crazy about the show, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sufficiently grateful. And if I were to go back in time, I would smack myself across yeah. the face. Um, but uh, on the first year, I, I, I was not happy. Um, wow. And uh, the show then took off, and we got picked up for the second season. And uh, I had this breakthrough moment, which was wonderful, where I realized, because I didn't want to be a supporting player. That was yeah. the thing. I didn't want to be on the Drew Carey show. I wanted to be on either one or two on the call sheet. Yeah. And... Uh, and I was frustrated, and uh, it, it was interesting. So then, on the second season, when we got picked up for the second season, I did the first episode of that season, and uh, it went really well. I had a great show, and at the end of the show, I remember thinking to myself, actually, this is great. Hmm. This is actually really great. You know, all I get is jokes. I get to rehearse all week. I get to hang out with Ryan Stiles. Drew's hmm. a really nice guy. Um, I'm getting paid, and it's like doing an under-rehearsed play every year, yeah. uh, every week, you know? Um, and I get to be in front of an audience and just do shtick and, and have a good time. Yeah. And and then I started having a good time. The second season, I was sufficiently grateful, and I really enjoyed myself. Yeah. And for the rest of the um, series, I really, really enjoyed it. But, uh, yeah, but if I were to go back in time, I'd definitely right. smack myself that first year because I, <laughs> I was unhappy. Yeah. Um, well, it just and, goes to show you that sometimes you you have an idea in your head about what you want. And if you get something different, you have like this resistance to it. But yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, that's like that still falls into the category of the whole manifesting thing that I'm doing. It's like sometimes the universe gives you an opportunity and you have to be open to it because, if yeah. you know, it's like you said, you, it's you had this resentment that you could have just uh, looked at it differently. But you were young and you were you were still. You yeah. were just still a pop. <laughs> yeah, I was still a pop, and and uh, yeah, I mean it, it. It wasn't what I had in mind, and I had a difficult time, as you say, right. changing gears. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and it was uh, I was frustrated. Not to say that I didn't enjoy myself when I was performing, especially right. you know uh, in front of the audience, um, and I did like everybody, but it just. It just wasn't what I had in mind. Yeah. And uh, and then I relaxed and got into it and ended up really having the time of my life. Wow. It was really, truly fun. 
um, so cool. you know, getting in front of a live audience is, is, is really great. Yeah. And I had found my calling. And it was fascinating doing a play during that thing because, hmm. uh, you know, I wanted to be this theater actor as we started out yeah. uh, talking about. And uh, I realized that I didn't have the discipline of a theater actor because once I got past the first two weeks of doing a play, I, re I really wanted to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was like, oh, God, we have to do it again. Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of a fascinating experience. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm actually in the world I should be yeah. in. Yeah. Wow. How doing cool. exactly what I should be doing. And I kind of fell into it in this weird way. Um, you know, partners got canceled. Yeah. I mean, John went on to great success. Of course, with, yes. Uh, two and a half men. But, uh, uh, you know, it, partners got canceled. Yeah. So if I had been on that show, probably would have gotten canceled. Right. Too. I'm not any better than John Cryer. Um, <laughs> so I love John Cryer. Uh, you know, I was just lucky. Yeah. One day, maybe John Cryer will follow me on Twitter. That's a dream I have. Um, I'm, I want, he's I want, a really nice guy. I know he's great. And the other person, and, and of course, oh, Don Cheadle, I want Don Cheadle to follow me and I, I desperately want to have him on the show. It's funny though. Yeah. I met him in Northridge. I used to, I used to, um, do what's called fragrance modeling where I, you know, just like worked for a perfume, um, company and then I would go out to different uh -huh. stores and I, and he and I, like he and I had a little conversation. He was there with his wife and she was shopping for perfume and, you know, we had a little back and forth and it was like. Not that that means anything, but it's like I've seen him on Twitter and he's so freaking awesome. And I just like I, I oh, want him great. to be on my show. Um, so I did a, I did a pilot with him. Oh, you um, did in the house. Um, and he is the only actor that I have uh, left my trailer and watched him just act and seen really? that wasn't in just because he was so delightful to watch. Yeah, this is long before he played Mouse or any of the breakout uh, yeah. parts that he played. I think Mouse was really the breakout, but. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't take my eyes off him. It's just huh. a really, truly, truly gifted performer. Wow. Well, you know, I have my, my dreams, so maybe, I'll, maybe one day they'll come true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you this, too. A couple more questions for you. So um, I read that your character on American Housewife is the closest to who you are. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so that's right. Would you say, yeah. though, would, do you prefer playing somebody that's close to you or like going into like a Rex Quando, like a really broad character? What do you prefer? Or are they just great in different ways? Well, it's actually more work to do all the character work, like um, Lawrence, for example, or Rex Quando, or <clears throat> any of those characters. To make them work, you have to think like them. Yeah. Um, so with Greg, uh, Greg just—he's more uptight than I am, but uh, <laughs> but he's he's really close to me. Yeah. Um, I don't have to think about how I would say anything; I just say it. Um, I don't have to think how I would react to anything; I just react to Interesting, it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, so it's really really easy. Hmm. Um, so I just show up to work with my lines memorized. You know, I, mm -hmm. I haven't really like made up my mind about how I feel about anything. I just do it. And what's great about working with Katie Mixon, she's such a committed actress, that we just do the scenes and just let it roll. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we don't chart it out. We don't talk about it. We just do it. Yeah. And uh, um, it's great. Huh. That's a, that sounds a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I can't say what I... I don't know what I would say. I mean, I remember, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed playing um, Gwendolyn from The Importance of Being Earnest. And, of course, that yeah, couldn't be farther fun. than who I am. But it was, you know, when I got the accent down and when I got the movements and everything, it was... 
um, it was so fun to kind of jump into somebody completely different. And you're right, it is more work um, because yeah. I certainly played characters that were closer to who I am. Um, and, and while it was a little easier, it was like, I don't know, there was the, but that doesn't mean that every broad character would be so much fun. But Gwendolyn was just, oh my God, I loved being in that skin. I was, I had oh, so totally. much, yeah, I just no, loved and, it. and once you've got a character, yeah. it is really fun to do. Yeah. Um, it's fun to leave yourself completely behind. Um, and, uh, and to really be someone else is a, is a lovely thing. I, mm -hmm. I totally enjoy it. Um, but it is more work. Yeah. And so then that brings me to Rex Quando, which I swear to God, I mean, <laughs> and, and again, my boyfriend, Bob, who has had um, all kinds of radio experience, plus he's done animation and all kinds of voices and he's good at voiceover and he does a very good impression of you doing Rex uh, Quando. <laughs> and then the other day we did, we do an after party, which is his patrons only um, podcast. And Knowing that you were going to be on my show, he played the scene where you're like, "No, the other arm." <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! So just, I just want to hear a little, just as a fangirl of the movie of the character, tell me about you know how that came about and and what it was like to work as uh, you know on Napoleon Dynamite. Well, that was that was an interesting show because you know it it was very small. I mean, like a skeleton crew, the smallest crew I've ever worked with. Wow. It was like doing a student film, but right. even smaller. Like I just did a student film. I enjoy doing student films, so uh, so I just did one uh, last uh, break. How cool! Um, but uh, uh, that one was uh, yeah, tiny skeleton crew. Um, we got two takes of every setup, so yeah. very short yeah. shooting. Um, I learned the lines the night before. Um, <laughs> there's not a single improv in there. Uh -huh. um, people say, "Did you improvise?" I improvised a lot as Lawrence and other roles, but not one with Rex Condro because I only had two takes. Yeah. Um, once I got the master down, I was like, oh, wow, they moved on so fast. Well, they didn't have the money to do any more takes. Right. So um, uh, we just moved on. Um, yeah, I mean, mm. funny physical comedy. Um, the uh, uh, the actor was totally okay with me actually slapping him. Um, <laughs> and, and because goes, it's, it's much easier to not pull your punches or not. Yeah. Be, uh, and it also... You know, the audience feels it. Yeah. That's what kind of makes it funny. Right. It looks it looks like it hurts. It's not them, <laughs> so they laugh. Oh um, God! Yeah, Rex Quando is, is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, actually, my my favorite part is that arm thing, mm -hmm. and then uh, telling him to go uh, take a seat because <laughs> it's like, you know, you think he's one thing, this kind of yelling, you know, thing, but then when he's quieter, you get the sense that this guy actually exists. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I that was such a cool and weird movie, and um, your part is so memorable in it. And it's like I, I, I also very much enjoy your um, your neighbor character in Office Space. I mean, you, those those are yeah. fun roles and memorable. You know, it's like if I if if Thank if, you. if you're you know like when I was telling my mom, who's not necessarily as familiar with your career, as soon as I mention. Um, office space or something. I mean, she did, she hasn't seen Napoleon Dynamite, but you know, she knows, okay. she knows exactly who you were. So cool. that's really cool. Okay. So let me just, this is going to be the last question. I'm just curious. Like I, I imagine whatever you're working on is not filming. So how are you staying occupied during these quarantine days? Well, my wife and I are trying to uh, write something. We've written a couple of movies. Nothing has happened, but we've gotten a lot of meetings. So, mm -hmm. uh, so we're writing something together. So we're doing that. Taking care of the kids, uh, you know, we're making three meals a day. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's like running a small, unsuccessful restaurant. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, we're reading uh, Don Quixote, uh, wow. which is a lot of fun. Um, and uh, we're just spending a lot of family time. That's great. And trying not to drive each other crazy. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah. It's uh, uh, I enjoy gardening, so I get to spend a lot of time with my garden uh-huh. because of this. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to uh, let the kids know what's happening in the world without overwhelming them with fear. How old are um, they? Uh, Sebastian is 16, and Undine is 14. Okay. So they're old enough to know what's happening yeah. with the world. And to know why, you know, Mama and Dad are taking such enormous precautions yeah. with uh, people that come to the house and all that kind of stuff. Right. I mean, we are really locked away. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing in these next two weeks the, the real numbers yes. of people that are going to be really sick from this. So I, I, I think it will really drive home for the rest of America mm-hmm. why we're isolating ourselves uh, and yeah. why we need to all band together and do the best we can to flatten these numbers out. Um, so it is uh, it is the, an enormous historical event that's mm-hmm. happening. I think March will be remembered mm-hmm. as one of the big uh, points in history of the United States and, and of the world, but mm-hmm. uh, certainly of the United States. You know, because we are an isolated country. We um, have been very lucky to have these enormous oceans protecting us. Yeah. A lot of wars haven't come our way, um, but uh, diseases know no barriers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's going to be it's going to be fascinating how we deal with these next two weeks and this upcoming month and figure out who we are and how we go forward. Um, it's a, it is a, it's a, it's a it's a terrible time. I, I can't say it's a good time. No. Um, it's a, it's a terrible time, and we're going to discover a lot about ourselves. As yeah. uh, anyone who's gone through a, a rough time knows. Um, I remember the death of my parents. I I uh, I didn't do very well with it. I, I had a really hard time with it. And uh, I said a lot of really inappropriate things to a lot of people, and, and uh, I struck out at a lot of people, and um, I made a lot of mistakes. And I think, I think that's what's going to happen for a lot of people now. Yeah. I think we're going to make a lot of mistakes. And I think ultimately it's okay. Um, and we'll see how how we deal with this. But it's a, it's a fascinating time. Uh, and I'm sorry for, for it happening. But Yeah, we well, when you, just as soon as you said, you know, in the next couple of weeks we're going to really see the numbers, it was like um, I felt literally in my body uh, – I, I can't describe what I felt, but it was almost like a lump in my in my chest, and um, yeah. and and that's true. We are going to see, um, it's just going to be awful, and it's just it's so upsetting. I mean, there's already been a, more deaths than uh, you know nine eleven, but yeah. I think I think for a lot of people, this disease obviously they hadn't been dealing with it in any real way. Right. I think it's going to. I think the reality is going to hit, yeah. and uh, um, and people that had been cautious, um, yeah, it's going to reinforce their feelings. And I think people that have been incautious, right. it's, it's going to really drive home that this is uh, this is real. Uh, this is no joke. Um, yeah. So and, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I ho- I really truly hope that um, for the people who were not taking it so seriously that they understand um, the, the, the response from Donald Trump and that they understand that the way that he handled this was so poor and it could have been, yeah. I mean, there's the, the, the pandemic would have still occurred if Hillary Clinton yeah. were president, but it wouldn't have, 
um, it would have been taken care of. I mean, he, he got rid of the whole pandemic team. Um, yeah. So there's no, there was, and, and he just, you know, he basically said everything was going to be fine and there was going to be a miracle and all the 15 people that he invented uh, were going to be cured and everything was going to be great. So yeah. I, I hope that this is going to take us. I really do, but I don't know because there is such mass delusion in this country. Now, granted his, um, uh, his base is small, but there are other, there are other people out there who seem to think that um, four more years of Trump is doable. And I don't think that. I don't think that if he gets reelected, um, I think that's going to be it. I don't see. No, it could a, be catastrophic. Yeah. So, in my opinion. But I think, uh, you know, I mean, I, there is there is the human spirit that often, um, you know, does rise to the occasion. So I am hoping that we can take this as an opportunity, even though, as you said, it's, and we all know it's going to be awful and scary and sad and, and painful. Even he said it's going to be painful. Um, and I try not to think too hard about that, but you know, it is, it's, it's every day it's right there. So what I do want to say is thank you for being on the show, but also thank you for your honesty and for your, I, I love talking to actors, especially male actors, because they're so um, free to open up, and and I appreciate that. It's it's just wonderful. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's wonderful, and you're and you've always you're always entertaining us, and thank you for entertaining us. <laughs> oh my God, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, cool. Well, you take care, love your family, and stay home. <laughs> okay, you right. too. Okay, bye bye. Okay, bye. Well, most of that interview was fun, right? <laughs> He's an interesting character. And again, I will say, um, I know I overused the word interesting. And of course, I'm bringing that to your attention now, if I hadn't already. But I mean, that's why I do this show, because there are so many interesting people out there that I want to talk to. And I just want to take this moment to say, um, I am so grateful So, like, I feel emotional now because the way that we ended that conversation makes me want to cry. So I feel especially emotional, and I'm fighting through it. Um, But because, you know, as I mentioned to him, you know, I used to want to be an actor. All of you know this. I was an actor. and And I wanted so desperately to be successful. And I remember that I, I thought that, you know, I mean, my father, who, uh, is very much a man who believes in hard work and, and security. I know he wasn't thrilled when I announced at what, like age 21 that I was dropping out of college to work in videos, music videos and commercials. <laughs> you can imagine how that might have made, you know, how that made him feel. I'm sure he hated it. I, I'm sure he did. Um, and so, so much of my, of my um, pursuit of acting, I mean, granted, it was fun and I loved it. And as we were talking about, I was talking about with Diedrich that, you know, it's like there's no greater high than standing in front of a group of people and making them laugh or making them feel, basically. As long as you're making them feel, it's just such an amazing feeling. It's such a high. Um, but there was this other part of me that so desperately wanted validation that I was good enough because I didn't go that that you know typical route of going to college, getting a degree, and getting a, a safe and secure job. I've never gotten jobs that were safe and secure. And I, I always wanted, like I had this, um, I never cared about being famous. I never cared about, I mean, I knew if you were famous, that meant you were successful. So that was the only reason I wanted to be famous. 
but I'd never liked the idea of being recognized in public and not having my personal freedom, which I covet. I mean, I just, that's one thing that I absolutely love about doing this podcast is that I can do this. I get to talk to famous people. I get to talk to whoever the hell I want to talk to and I can go to the grocery store and nobody knows who I am. And I love that because I, I'm just, you know, leave me alone. I like to be left alone. <laughs> I'm a loner. Um, but I wanted my dad to um, see that I was successful because I wanted to see, I, I wanted it to be like, see dad, I made it happen. I made it happen. And I used to have these fantasies that I would be only with my father, only had these fantasies uh, where I would get, where people would come up and ask me for my autograph. And I, I mean, like I would only have the fantasy as long as my father could see it. I didn't give a shit about people asking for my autograph. But I wanted it to happen so that my dad could see it so that he would realize, oh, yeah, she did make the right decision. Um, and it's funny now because now because he worked at ABC News as a cameraman. I mean, he kind of worked in politics. His job was a cameraman, but he worked, you know, at the um, at the White House. He's been he's worked at the Pentagon. He's he's been to um, Saudi Arabia during the wars. I mean, he's been everywhere. And, and so he understands politics pretty freaking well. And so it's interesting that I would go on to um, write about politics and host a podcast that focuses primarily on politics. And so, um, you know, he's it was I just want to cry because he he and I, you know, we talk frequently and it's unfortunate because I, I moved to California in 1977. I was nine years old. I moved back here in 2018. So, um, you know, back when he was 70 years old. And, or, you know, 71 years old. So there's a long time. And of course, I saw him during that time. I would come out for a visit. You know, I visited him. He's come out, he had come out to California and visited me. But we didn't live in the same area. So now we do. So he's so proud and he's so excited because all of his children live within 15 minutes of each other. And now this freaking pandemic hits. He can't even see his grandchild, which he like adores. But so, you know, we talk frequently on the phone. And um, as we hung up the other day, he said, I love you. And then he said, I'm proud of you. And that was, you know, we hung up and it just makes me want to cry because when I was younger, I just, I, I, I felt like the choice that I made, um, that I, I caused him concern. You know, I know that he was concerned because he just, he looked at acting and he thought, well, that's not um, secure. You can't get it, you know, and my mom was always of the mind, like there is no real security in life and, you know, just follow your dreams. And so I pretty much took my mom's, you know, take on this. And so for my dad to, you know, I mean, my dad has told me he's proud of me many times, but in this particular phone call under these particular circumstances of quarantine, the last thing he said to me is I'm proud of you. It just like, it's like I'm going to cry, you know, because I feel like I'm doing what I love and I didn't even know, you know, like back in 1992 uh, or 1993 or whatever, while I was pursuing an acting career, never in my wildest dreams did I see myself doing this right here. And I don't know what I would have said if you said, hey, here's this, here's this thing you're going to do. I don't know what I would have said, but um, the fact that I'm doing it, it seems like it's, it, I was all the things that I've ever done in my life have led me to this moment. I believe that being an outside sales rep has helped me because I'm not like afraid to just 
go up to people and go, hey, hi, my name's Kimberly and I've got these products and you should check them out and I've got some funny stories for you and I'm just not afraid to go up to a stranger and, and, and just start talking. And I think another thing that has set me up for this, and I think it's kind of weird, but it's true, I've always been somebody who talked on the phone. I mean, I didn't have a relationship. I wasn't in a relationship basically for the majority of my um, of my adulthood. And I lived alone. So oftentimes I'd have my dinner. And as soon as I finished dinner, I was like, I wanted to talk. So I, I had uh, this kind of in my mind Rolodex of people that I could call. And I would... Um, you know, and I'd have these long phone conversations with people. And I kind of liken it to what I'm doing now because, you know, I was talking to Diedrich on the phone. I was talking to Kirsten on the phone. So you get, I mean, I don't know them, so we don't have relation, uh, like a relationship or a conversation like I would have if I were talking to somebody that I knew very well. But still, it's the same idea. It's like that with Steph because Steph and I definitely, as you all know, just start going and could go on forever. Um, but this... But this experience is so great because, A, I get to call the shots. I get to decide who's going to be on the show. I get to decide what kind of questions I want. I get to decide everything about it. And I don't have to work for someone else. And frankly, you know, I know that no one likes it per se. Or, you know, maybe there are some people who do. You know, like, for instance, I'm going to kind of go off into a small little tangent about Wegmans, which is a upscale but not overly expensive grocery store in Maryland. I don't know. I'm. It might be in Virginia, too. But I know it's in Maryland. And it's kind of like Whole Foods, only huge, like gigantic. And it's an absolutely great place to work. People who work there are loving it. Plus, during during the virus, they're getting like an extra $2 an hour. Um, they get paid sick leave. The, the people who own Wegmans are fantastic employers. So I can understand somebody who works for a company like Wegmans would really feel grateful for employers that treated them well. In fact, I remember... A friend of mine once said, I would rather make less money um, and work for people who respected me than make more money and work for assholes, which I totally could understand. Um, how I was able to, to you know, be in the workplace and survive for the most part was I always found jobs, specifically like, say, in outside sales, where the company that I was working for was located in another city or in another uh, state. So I didn't have to check into an office. I got to set my own schedule. And basically, when you're a salesperson, it's your sales. That's all they care about. If you have good sales, they don't really give a shit what you do. So I was able to work the way I wanted to as opposed to the way they thought I should work. Because everybody's like, here, you have to say this and you have to do this. And it's like, no, I think as a salesperson, you have to go with your gut instinct and I'm really good at reading people. And so I would just like kind of read the room and find out. Sometimes people like to be told, hey, you have to order this right now. They like that. So when I met people who were like that, I would, I would behave that way. When I met people who were skeptical of me, I never tried to sell them a goddamn thing. I would tell them stories about, you know, my life and, and um, you know, like, in, in fact, I had, and it's all coming back to this podcast, but I used to, when I sold the uh, industrial chemicals, which I swear to God, that is such a story. Um, there was this one, there was this one guy who worked in the, he was a city guy. He like worked for the city and his name was Joe. And I'd gone in there with my boss and I had never met him before, but I wanted his business. So he like repaired the police cars and stuff for the city. 
we went in and hi, you know, I'm so-and-so and I'm from this company. And he was just like, yeah, 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 whatever. And he didn't care. So my boss kind of takes over and she starts the spiel, the, the company spiel. And it was, it was a small business. So it wasn't a corporate situation, but still they had their, um, their little, like, uh, their way of doing things, which I didn't necessarily like the way they taught us to sell, but you know, whatever I was with my boss. So she starts doing the spiel and he just didn't give a shit. And she was getting visibly angry. And I thought, wow, really? Um, I mean, that's like when you're in sales, you expect to be rejected. The whole point is to overcome the, the rejection. Like you expect it. And, and, and she seemed to be um, taken aback because he was rejecting us. And it was like, why are you acting angry? So anyway, we got in the car and I said to her, um, cause he didn't buy anything. I said, I'm going to get this guy. So the way that I hooked him in was I, you know, there were other people in, in this particular city yard that, you know, like I would work with the people who were in sewer maintenance and I would work with a, an, another, office that took care of whatever else from the city. So anyway, I, I always was visiting this particular city yard and I would make my rounds to each, um, you know, like there were the guys who removed graffiti or they, you know, they did the street signs and you had to remove graffiti from the street signs. So there was always somebody to work with. And so this guy, Joe, I would just stop in and I would say, Hey Joe. And he'd, he'd kind of look at first. He's like, I don't need anything. And I'm like, okay, see you next time. And, you know, and then I, and then I'd come back next time and I'd be like, Hey Joe. And eventually he'd say, you know, Hey, and then um, I'm like, if there's anything you need, here's my card. And I didn't push it on him until finally, finally one day I just walked in there and I'm like, Hey Joe. And he's like, do you have this, whatever product it was? And it was like, that was my opening. And I got the sale. And he was never a big, huge customer, but he, he became not only a reliable customer, but he became my friend. And I, I always liken us to like the two old ladies in the backyard hanging clothes and gossiping because we would always like have so much fun when we got together and I was able to win him over. And I, I just loved that. But the thing is, is that that... I think that kind of experience gave me the, I guess, confidence or um, I don't know if it's ability, but definitely the confidence to do a show like this because I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be talking to these people, whether they're movie stars or they're political brains, like like really smart people. Um, I might sometimes get a little nervous and mostly my nerves come from, I hope everything works out on the technological side. I'm not so much uh, freaking out about my ability to interview because I've always enjoyed asking questions, but it's like, I, I like, I don't want something to happen where, uh, you know, I, f I record a whole show and then I have to throw it away. Like I did with Sarah Wood, which made me sad, but Sarah and I are friends. So she understands anyway, boy, I've gone off into a long tangent, but that's just all to say that I have such an amazing job and I love it. And it's because of you guys. And I'm so grateful for you. And I'm going to continue to say that because I sincerely mean it. And I am working on gratitude and I am working on always, you know, if I have a negative thought, I replace it with all of the gratitude that I have. And, you know, whether it's I'm grateful for my home or for my boyfriend, another thing that I constantly remind myself of what I'm grateful for are you guys, because you guys allow me to do this. And I just, it means everything to me. So thank you. So I'll stop blabbing now. And I will just remind everybody, you can follow me on Twitter, author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. I will, of course, will, and that's at author Kimberly, I will include Diedrich Bader's, um, his handle, so you can follow him if you don't. Plus, I didn't get to say this. He mentioned 
that he has a garden. He's on Instagram. And let me tell you, it is a beautiful Instagram page. It's his whole garden. It's all of his garden. He takes pictures of his flowers. And it's especially right now as we're all quarantined. I highly recommend going over there and following him because uh, it's just he's got beautiful pictures and it's just wonderful that he's got a garden. So and the other thing that I just want to tell you was that uh, I think I told you this the last time, but the books have been selling. Woohoo. So we've had my mom sent me a little thing the other day and said, look, uh, we've had a really good month. So that's because I've been talking about my Amazon page and hers. So uh, I'm Kimberly A. Johnson, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y-A Johnson on Amazon. My mom is Ann Werner, W-E-R-N-E-R. We have all kinds of books between us. This is a perfect time to get them. She writes thrillers. I have a variety of books. We've, we've worked together on books. So, you know, please visit them if you're a reader and give us reviews if you like the books. That's it. I'm going to stop blabbing now, and I will see you next week.